You can open your Bible to the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah. Now, the book of Jonah is um, obviously, I think, a familiar story of a man being swallowed by fish. Um, but I think there's a lot, lot more to it than the Sunday school story that we are all, I'm sure, very familiar with. Now, if you were here this morning, Franchot went through essentially one verse, maybe two verses in his entire lesson. I'm going to attempt to go through uh, 48 verses. <laughs> I may have bitten off more than I can chew. Anyways, we'll see how it goes. I know the Lord will lead us. As Jesus said, every word of God, right? Man shall live by every word of God. All right. The book of Jonah. Can we put that slide up, please, Sean? All right, so I have a slide that I want to put up. Um, and the slide essentially is the history of the prophets. Now, I know you can't see anything. I'm sorry about that. That will, you can see a, maybe a red circle. But um, I'll have a printout next week. But the reason I'm, I'm showing this is just because I want to give you a brief idea of where Jonah fits into the story. All right. Now, we know what the story is about, but where it fits in and all of that sometimes is a mystery. Also, my plan is, if the Lord spares us and continues to lay this on my heart, is to go through all the minor prophets. Now, there are 12 minor prophets. Um, they are called minor prophets, not because they are minor in importance, but because they are shorter. They are smaller, all right? You get the major prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, all of that. But now the minor prophets, there is Jonah, there is Amos, there is Hosea, and um, that's around 775 before Christ. To put that in context, David, King David, 1000 BC, then you have Solomon, and then it's split into the southern tribes and the northern tribes, the two kingdoms, all right? So Israel is divided north and south, and you have the prophet Elijah, Elisha. Now, here is that arrow is Israel, north, captivity, all right? 722 BC. And then over here is Judah's 70 years of captivity in Babylon, okay? So you can see Jonah, Amos, Hosea are all before even the first captivity of the 10 tribes of Israel, all right? So I'm just giving that to give you some idea of what's being addressed. So Jonah and Hosea, and Amos, and those are the three first books that we're going to go through. And those three prophets all had something to do with the northern tribes of Israel. Jonah was from the north, all right, from Galilee, where Hosea was also from the north, and he preached to the north. And then we have Amos, who was actually from the south, but he was sent to go and preach to the north. So those three are in the same time, before Israel's captivity, and they had a mission towards the north, or they were at least from the north. All right, so just to give you some background about that and where this all fits into the history. Um, for interest's sake, if you wanted to know, this is where King Cyrus, if you're familiar with the prophecy, where essentially King Cyrus lets the people who were captive out of captivity allows them to go back to the land to rebuild the temple. But the book of Daniel is essentially written in that 70-year period as well. So 
Just some context. I'll print this out next week. I'll hand them all to you so that as we go through the books, you sort of know where this story fits in the history. Now, Jonah. You're open in the book of Jonah, and um, I want to start off by reading verse, verse 1 and 2. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for, the wickedness, for their wickedness is come up before me. Now, Jonah, it says, was from Amittai, or son of Amittai, and if you read in 2 Kings chapter 14, you'll read that um, he was a prophet during the time of King Jeroboam II, and that sort of gives us our timestamp, but also there it says that he is from Galilee. I point this out because in John chapter 7, it is mentioned that no prophet has risen out of Galilee. Because they're trying, they're speaking and they're, um, to Nicodemus, and they're trying to tell him that Jesus, this guy from Galilee, is a nobody because no, Ga- no Galilean has ever been a prophet. But that's actually, one, a false statement because Jonah was from Galilee. But also, secondly, it could be because they were trying to disregard Jonah as a prophet because, as you'll see today, he was somewhat of a lousy prophet and they were maybe trying to push them out of their history. But if we can divide the book into four parts, Jonah chapter 1, this is not mine, I wish it was mine, but it's flee action. Flee action. He flees from God, or he tries to flee from God and the call of God. And then chapter 2 is knee action. He is in the fish, he is kneeling down, he is praying. Um, Then chapter 3 is reaction. He reacts to what God actually called him to do in chapter 1, and then also the people react to the message. And then chapter 4 is me action. All he goes on about is me, me, me. Have a look at Jonah chapter 4. I'll just read a few verses there. Jonah chapter 4 verse 1 says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. What is he displeased about? The fact that the Ninevites repented. He says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, um, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art gracious, art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. Therefore the Lord, therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Then said the Lord, Doest thou well to be angry? He was so upset that God is such a good God and spared these Ninevites' lives that he would rather die. He was angry. He was displeased at what God had done, at God's mercy. All right? Now, that's why I say that's me action. So you've got flee action, you've got knee action, you've got reaction, and you've got me action. Now, he gets, told to send, he gets sent to Nineveh. Now, if you know your geography somewhat, if Israel is here, okay, here's Israel, he's up here, goes to Joppa, and then he goes that way, Spain, Tarshish, whereas that is where um, Nineveh was. So 800 kilometers east, northeast, is where um, he was supposed to go. He goes 4,000 kilometers west, okay? So talk about an an attempt to flee 
Um, I guess geographically he did as good a job as he could. Now, he says the reason he's angry at God sparing these people is because he knew God is merciful. He knew God would spare them. He's angry about that because these are the people that were gaining momentum as a world power in that day. They were coming from the east and they were coming, coming, coming closer and closer to Israel. And they were, as they were conquering lands, they were brutal in their conquer. They were idolatrous people. They were um, whoremongers. They were just these evil people who literally, if you read in Nahum chapter 3, where it's also a prophecy against Nineveh, you'll read there that he actually says that the corpses lay in the streets. You, you can't take a step without stepping on a corpse. Like, it was a terrible people, these Ninevites. And so Jonah really did want nothing. So this is why Jonah hates them. And what was happening at the same time is the Assyrians, that is, Nineveh is the capital of Assyria, the Assyrians were asking money or forcing money from the countries that they are conquering or to, to pay money to them so that they do not invade. So in other words, Israel had to pay money to keep the Assyrians out of their country. So needless to say, they were bad people and they were the enemies of Israel. And Jonah didn't want anything to do with that. So when Jonah's called to go and preach to them, he can't think of a worse calling. <laughs> when Jonah preached to them, though, this, this will be important for next lessons. When Jonah preached to them, he, or because the Ninevites repented, it actually ushered in a period of peace in Israel. And Israel actually grew quite prosperous and quite strong because the Ninevites, who were the enemies of the countries, stopped attacking. In Jonah chapter 3 and verse 8, it says that they turned from their violence. In other words, they stopped conquering. Um, and therefore, Israel could flourish somewhat in this period. But that's exactly where Hosea and Amos come in, because they rebuke the Israelites for their prosperity and that they've forsaken God and trusted their riches. All right? So there's a, a, a nice correlation between that. And then also historically, what I found quite interesting is that in Assyria, the king who repented, there's no history about any military conquests during that king. So the Assyrians were very proud of their brutality, and so they documented every battle that they won and the people that they killed and the, what they did and all of that. But for that period in Jonah's time, there's no Assyrian records of any conquering, killing, and any of that. So that actually backs up the Bible quite nicely. All right, so we'll get into Amos and Isaiah, and we'll discuss those things. But I am taking too long with my intro, so let's get into the book of Jonah. All right, verse 3. We read verse 1 and 2. The wickedness came up before me, but Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish. As I said, that is quite a far away from God. Now, he said he tried to flee from the presence of the Lord. Can we flee from the presence of the Lord? Let me put this thing off. We can't flee from the presence of the Lord. I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> all right <laughs> deal with it all right you can't flee from the presence of the lord david said though i make my though i ascend into heaven or i make my bed in hell you are there you cannot get away from 
I'm going to wait for this thing to go up. <laughs> Take my time, eh? Yeah. Feels especially slow today. Okay. So you can't escape God, His presence, geographically. There's nowhere where you can go. You, you can't ascend to heaven. You can't, can't go to the grave. You can't go to the sea. Jonah found that out the hard way. You can't go anywhere with, without God's presence with you. But, and I think Jonah knew that. That psalm was already written. But what Jonah was trying to do, he was just trying to get away from where God specially, specifically revealed himself, where the people of God are, where the things of God are, where he's constantly being reminded about the things of God. And so he said, I need to get away from this because my disobedience is going to prick my heart. <laughs> and so I need to get somewhere else. And so we can do the same thing in our lives. We can very much say, Let's go, let me go to my spiritual Tarshish. All right? God says, do this. Um, I really need to finish this thing that I'm busy with, or I'm going to occupy myself with this thing. And so you make yourself, I think, unavailable to what God wants you to do. And that essentially is a similar way in which we can flee from where God wants us to be, from his presence. In, um, in, verse, in verse 3 it says, so God told Jonah what to do, go to Nineveh, but then, but Jonah rose up, so he obeyed the arise, and he obeyed the go. But he didn't obey the, 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 the where to um, he had to go. And then in verse 4, it says, but the Lord. So it's almost like this battle of will that's going on. It says, but Jonah did this in response, but God did this in response. But Jonah did this, but God did this. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, verse 4, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid. And cried every man unto his God, and cast forth their wares that were in the ship unto the sea, into the sea, and to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship, and he lay there and was asleep. So, God brings up the storm, and you can see by the reaction of these mariners, I hope I'm saying that right, by these mariners, that they are, this is not a normal storm. They would have checked the weather, they would have got on the boat, they're out on the ocean, and then all of a sudden, there's this wind, there's these waves, and they cry out to, they don't try and, you know, can I say, manage it. They cry out to their gods. Gods, help us. Now, that obviously didn't work, because in verse 6, the shipmaster came to him, to Jonah, who was asleep, and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper, arise, call upon thy God, if so be that God will think, on, think upon us that we perish not. So their gods weren't doing anything. That wasn't working. So let's ask this guy who's asleep. Now, I think he's asleep because it's really tiring to run from God physically <laughs> and in your conscience. I think Jonah, he, that wasn't, he wasn't unclear as to maybe God wants me to go to Nineveh. This was like, Jonah? Go to Nineveh. Two-day journey to Joppa. Get on a ship. Pay the fare for the ship on the ocean. It's, his, his conscience is pricking him, and he's running from God, so he's tired. And anyways, they call him in and say, come, pray to your God. 
Maybe he is the one behind this. Verse 7 says, And they said everyone to his fellow, Come and let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then said they unto him, Tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause is this evil upon us? Um, what is thine occupation? And whence comest thou? Um, what is thy country? And... Um, of what people art thou? So they're panicking. They're just stringing these questions. Where are you from? Who are you? Where did you go? Why is this happening? What? So they know something is up because the lot fell on Jonah. Now, God can definitely intervene into something like that, make a lot fall on someone and say, this is the man. This is the man. And so it fell on Jonah and panic ensues. These people asking, what is going on? And Jonah said unto them, verse 9, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. Verse 10, then were the men exceedingly afraid. Now, if you say, okay, the lot is cast on you, the storm is raging, and you say, I serve the God who made this sea. <laughs> That's not a good... <laughs> you, you say you fear the Lord... You know what God is capable of. You serve this God. You disobey Him. And, this is, and then you say, he's the, he's the God of the seas. Now, obviously, you are the fault. You are the problem. What I would just like to point out here, he says, and I fear the Lord. I think that is a very empty statement in the context Jonah finds himself in. To say, I am fleeing God, I don't, I'm not obeying him. Oh, but by the way, I do fear him. We must be careful what we say, and we must check ourselves whether our practice um, lines up with our preaching. So verse 10, the men were exceedingly afraid and said unto him, why, why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he had fled from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then said thou unto him, what shall we do unto thee? that the sea may be calm unto us, for the sea wrought and was tempestuous. And he said unto them, Take me up and cast me forth into the sea, so that the sea shall be calm unto you, for I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. Now he tells them, like, if I was in Jonah's situation, I don't think I would have said, all right, throw me into the sea. I think that's the solution. I, this, maybe that's just me, but... I, th I honestly believe that if Jonah there realized that the reason this is happening is because of his disobedience, he needs to repent and turn to God, that God will save them. But I think Jonah is still trying to get out of this. I think selfishly he's saying, okay, well, I'm in this mess now. I'm going to those Ninevites. Throw me into the sea. Get rid of me. And that way, he still doesn't have to fulfill his calling that God has given to him. He could have repented on the ship. Verse 13, Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to land, but they could not, for the sea wrought and was tempestuous against them. Now, I'm with, the, I'm with these, these sailors. Look, if God is angry because Jonah has disobeyed, but Jonah is still alive, now I go and throw his prophet in the sea to kill him? <laughs> That may not be the wisest decision. So they didn't want to harm the Lord's prophet because 
I think they feared God at this point more than what Jonah feared God. Verse 14, wherefore they cried unto the Lord and said, we beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not upon us innocent blood, for thou, O Lord, hast pleased thee. So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. I find it interesting how people who don't serve God call out to God, I beseech thee, when they are in a storm themselves. There's something inside of us that knows that there is one true God and there's only one God who can help. I've been asked on many occasions to pray for people, or I've been asked by people who don't believe in God to pray for people. Like, there's something inside of me that says there's something is real about this God. So I find it interesting that, and also something else I want to point out is, in verse 16, they feared the Lord exceedingly and offered sacrifice and made vows. They make vows, and I, I want to caution us, be careful to make vows flippantly in a storm because you are emotionally caught up fearing for your life and say, God, I will do anything. I will serve you forever. Now, maybe they did, <laughs> but we say things, we commit to things. Of Ecclesiastes, we shouldn't be rash in our words to make promises to God. All right, so these people turn to God. They fear God more than what Jonah did. But what I find interesting is Jonah told them earlier, throw me into the sea and the sea will be calm. They didn't believe him, but once they did and the sea was calm, they believed. So when this, the word of the prophet came true, they believed. And so the, what I want to point out to us is we have God's truth. Jonah spoke something that was true, even though he was not where he should be with God. But having the truth and speaking the truth is always important to include in your conversation with everyone because when that storm hits and when what you said comes true, those people can turn to God. All right. So speak the truth. Include the truth in your conversation. Rather speak truth than the famous quote, speak life. Let's say speak truth. Sometimes speaking truth is not life, but the truth does bring life at the end of the day. All right, verse 17. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, it says the Lord prepared a fish. I don't know if this is a once-off model. I don't know if this is a special model with a, with a nice air chamber inside. I, I don't know how, but God prepared this fish to swallow up Jonah. Jesus calls it a whale, so I think that points us at least in a certain direction, but whether this fish still exists, I don't know. I don't think so, um, but irrespective of however you look at it, it is a miracle for Jonah to have been swallowed by a fish and preserved in that fish for three days and three nights. And so God still saves the reluctant servant. God still wanted to get Jonah's attention, even though Jonah had decided in his heart, so much so that he was willing rather to die, drown in an ocean to fulfill God's will. And that's the note to yourself. If you think your will is strong, (laughs) 
God's will is slightly stronger. If he wants you to do something, now, (laughs) I'm careful when I say this, but God has certain things that are not negotiable. And if God has said, this is the way, and I want to use you to those people, he will find a way to do that. But you decide how difficult it is (laughs) or how blessed it is in that process. Okay, chapter 2, verse 1. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly. So he's all of a sudden having second thoughts about his entry into the ocean. He was thinking, confident, throw me in the ocean, you know, and then I am rid of this calling. And all of a sudden he's um, praying to the Lord out of the fish's belly. And he said, and said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. Out of the belly of hell, of hell cried I, and thou heardest my voice. He arose, he went, and he cried. Instead of he arose, he went, and he cried against Nineveh. Now he is crying, he is calling out, but not against Nineveh. He's calling out for his life. So God is a way of making sure that his calling, arise and go to Nineveh and preach, still came true, but in a, in a different way. Verse 3 says, For thou hast cast me into the deep, in the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about, and the billow, um, all thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Then said I, I am cast out of thy sight, yet will I look again towards thy holy temple. Jonah was trying to flee from God. He wanted to be out of God's sight. Because he thought as long as he is in control of managing whether, how much hold God has on him, he was comfortable. But as soon as God cast him out of his sight, all of a sudden he realized the severity of the situation he found himself. So I pray that you don't get in that position where God has to cast you out of his sight. Jonah liked it as long as he was in control. Verse 5, the waters come past me about, even to, um, even to the soul. The depth closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped about my head. I went down into the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption, O Lord, my God. He's essentially at the point of death. Now, it sounds like this is as he is sinking, going down, and he doesn't know where his help is going to come from. The weeds are wrapped around his head. He's under the mountains. He's so deep in the sea. Her bars are around him forever. But the Lord brought him up from corruption. Do you see the immense mercy <laughs> that's being shown to Jonah? And this is the very thing he accuses God of in chapter 4. Verse 7, Then my soul fainted within me. I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came unto thee and into thy holy temple. I think Jonah snapped out of it at this moment. He remembered the Lord. (laughs) He snaps out of it, and he prays, and he says, verse 8, They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. Now, he's referring to people who worship idols. He's referring to these people who um, have idols that are empty, they are vain, and they are fake. They, they, they lie. They're not real. And he says, they forsake their own mercy. 
So your choice to give your life to serving things that are vain and that are empty, you are forsaking your own mercy. You are making that decision. But I think Jonah prays this thinking about the heathen. But I see him in this. He says, they that observe lying vanities. Wasn't it a lie and vain for Jonah to think that he would escape God's will by fleeing to Tarshish? He observed the lying vanity. He forsook his own mercy. But it's exactly mercy that God showed him. God still showed him mercy in the form of a fish (laughs) when he didn't deserve it. And that is what is shown to us. Verse 9, But I will sacrifice unto thee with a voice of thanksgiving. I um, I will pay that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. What is a prophet vowed? A prophet is vowed to speak the message that God has given him to the people God wants him to speak it to. That's the vow of a prophet. And he said, I will fulfill my vow. Salvation is of the Lord. So Jonah knows salvation is of God. God can save Nineveh. Just like God saved him from his death. And just like God saves us from our death. Salvation is of the Lord. No man cometh unto the Father but by me, said Jesus. So, verse 10, And the Lord spake unto the fish, and he vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. Now, Jonah was back where he started, in worse condition than he started, because he chose to disobey. He's back on the land, he's got the same journey to make, he's had a storm, he's had a fish, he stinks, he (laughs) potentially... Potentially the acid of the stomach has burnt his skin. Now he has to walk in the sun. He spent all his money to pay for this fare to Tarshish. He doesn't have money. I don't know if his clothes survived, but he's in, he's in a mess. And he stinks. And he still has to make the same journey. So, obey the first time. It is better that way. Chapter 3 verse 1 says, And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time. Thank God for second chances. Saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it preaching the, the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. Now just notice something that happened in verse 3. God said in chapter 1, Jonah, arise, go to Nineveh, and preach. What's happening here, verse 3? He arose. And he went to Nineveh, verse 4, and Jonah began to enter the city, um, enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said. So do you see how God's calling now is being fulfilled by Jonah, but after some serious challenges in the process? And Jonah cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now, I doubt that this is everything that God told Jonah to say. In, in Jonah's own prayer, he said, salvation is of the Lord. So Jonah omitted things like, what sin? What do they need to repent of? How do they need to repent? Who do they need to turn to? All of these things, Jonah omitted that. He just said, 40 days and it's tickets. It's five words in the Hebrew language. A five-word sermon. 
Now, was it true what Jonah said? It was true. That was what God said. 40 days and you will be destroyed. So the power of the message is in the truth of God's word being preached. The power is in the truth. It's not in the messenger. Now, can God use the messenger? Of course, he used Jonah. But the people, you'll see in verse 5, repented. I would not have repented at a sermon like that the way they did. But God gripped a hold of those people's hearts. Now, it could have helped. Maybe they saw Jonah and they saw this man beaten and bruised, acid-eaten, sunburned, stinky prophet from a country that's their enemy, and they thought, whatever happened to him? <laughs> I don't want that. <laughs> so maybe that's what happened. But I think, <laughs> could I say in a weird way, Francois, testimony, <laughs> his life <laughs> showed something that was very true about the message he was preaching. And that is maybe what also got hold of their hearts. Verse 5. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. Now, Jonah was a prophet in Israel. There were prophets in Israel. And these prophets were preaching to Israel. And Israel didn't repent. Prophet after prophet, message after message. One prophet, one lousy sermon and the people repent. Doesn't that maybe speak to our callousness, our hardness as religious people when it comes to repentance, when it comes to God's Word? We get so used to hearing it that it's just, it's just another prophet. It's just another message. But these people heard the truth and it gripped them and it changed them. So Israel and Jonah, they don't repent, but the Ninevites repent at this. Verse 6, For the word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid his robe from him and covered him with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything, let them not feed nor drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn everyone from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell, um, who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? This is a, it's like they, they're throwing themselves at the mercy of God. They don't, they, it says, we don't know if God will turn and repent. But we just pray that he does show mercy to us. Now look how seriously they're taking this. <laughs> I couldn't think, help but think about, this sounds like a lockdown. <laughs> it sounds like, stop what you're doing, go hide, get these things right, stay away from this, don't do this. But that's because of sin. It's because of sin that they're doing this. How seriously this government, I want to say, takes something like this. And um, that is why we need to pray for our, our leaders as well. That 
we who have any sort of leadership position and those who lead this country, that we take seriously things a lot more, uh, or let's take things seriously that are a lot more serious than COVID. <laughs> things that actually threaten our eternal lives. Verse 10 says, And Jonah, um, and God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he had said, and he, um, that he would do to them, and he did it not. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and, a, and merciful and slow to anger and of great kindness and repentest thee of the evil. Now there's so much to say about this. First of all, Jonah had just preached, and this is what's happening. God said, in 40 days, you will be destroyed. How did Jonah know at this point that God would spare them? 40 days hadn't passed yet. Look at verse 5. Verse 5 of chapter 4 says, um, Then said the Lord, uh, no, yeah, Jonah went out of the city. Only Jonah went out of the city later on. And then he sat on the hill, and then he looked to see what will happen of Nineveh. So 40 days hadn't passed. Jonah knew that seeing the repentance and knowing his God, God would spare them. God, you are merciful. And, and he's angry. He has forgotten the mercy that was shown to him. I mean, look at, look at his response in chapter 2, verse 9. God had shown mercy to him. Chapter 2, verse 9 says, But I will sacrifice unto thee with a voice of thanksgiving and um, pay the vow that I vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. He praises God. He th I, I will sacrifice thanksgiving God because you showed me mercy. And then God shows these people mercy and he is angry. That's exactly the opposite. God want, Jonah wanted mercy to be shown to him. But he didn't like it to see it in his enemies. Jonah openly accepted that mercy. But he didn't want to share it with sinners. I don't know how to completely <laughs> respond to that. Other than to say that when you were an Israelite of that day, thinking that you are God's chosen people and you are holy and you are called out and all of that and you're so used to the law of God, you've grown so used to having the law of God and hearing things about him that it just sort of becomes life. It's nothing special. It's just the way I am. And so... He got so used to the grace or the mercy that he had that it was foreign to see it in someone else. He thinks of himself so much higher that he deserved the mercy God showed him. And these people did not deserve the mercy. I, and that is where I think religion is so dangerous. We think that we deserve the mercy and the grace that is shown to us through Jesus Christ. We do not deserve it. Mercy is God's wrath being 
withheld from us. And grace is the gift of salvation being given to us. It's nothing we did. And I think Jonah completely lost sight of that. In verse 3, he says, Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. I can only say he's short-sighted and presumptuous. He's essentially saying, God, if you let me handle this, I would have done a better job. If, if I was in control of what happens to Nineveh, I would have made the right decision. How often do we find ourselves quarreling in trials, questioning God's character in evil, and lose sight of what God has done for us, what God is doing in the world? God is sovereign. He is king. We lose sight of that. And we think that we would do better with the situations that we have. So in verse 4, God asks him, Jonah, doest thou well to be angry? Are you doing well to be displeased with my mercy, my character? Obviously, no. But Jonah doesn't answer. Verse 5, And Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city, and they made him a booth and sat under it in the shadow till he might see what would become of the city. So he sat there for 40 days, miserable, angry, waiting for this 40th day to finally come and see what is going to happen. He actually knew what was going to happen, but, oh well, might as well see it through. Maybe God surprises him. Maybe God will listen to his anger. Maybe if I'm angry for long enough and, you know, displeased with God, maybe he'll change his mind. Verse 6, And the Lord had prepared a gourd and made it to come over Jonah, that it might be shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceedingly glad for the gourd. Now, God is giving him an illustration. Like, God is really trying to reach out to Jonah, saying, Jonah, are you doing well to be angry? And then Jonah builds a little pathetic booth for himself, and God says, you know what, I'll let a nice... I don't know, shrub, bush, creeper thing, grow over it and give you some nice shade. And Jonah was exceedingly glad for the gourd. But God prepared a worm. So he prepared the gourd. Then he prepared a worm. And when the morning rose the next day, and it smote the gourd, and it withered. And it came to pass, when the sun did rise, that God prepared a vehement, another thing God prepared, a vehement east wind. And the sun beat upon the head of Jonah, and he fainted and wished himself to die, and he said, it's better for me to die than to live. Jonah was happy about a plant, giving him shade. While he was sitting looking over Nineveh, who repented, hoping that God would still destroy them. He's angry at God for showing mercy and once again, God shows mercy to him by giving him a gourd, this plant, this shade. He's, he's thankful for that, that mercy. But don't show mercy to these people, God. I want to say that what upsets you shows a lot about what you truly value. His plant being destroyed was of great grief to him. But the people of Nineveh being destroyed... The souls that would be damned. These are 120,000 people you see at, in the end of chapter 4. 120,000 people 
God, destroy them, but please save my plant. It sounds a bit like his focus is off. So what upsets you? Does it upset you when you see people dying in their sins? Does it upset you when you see um, injustice? Does it upset you when, when you have gladly accepted God's mercy, but you see that you don't have that same feeling towards others? Does that upset you? Or do a lot less significant things upset you? Verse 9 says, And God said to Jonah, Doest thou well to be angry for the God? And he said, I do well to be angry even unto death. Jonah is, God reaches out to him again. God even tries to give him a practical illustration. But Jonah doesn't want anything to do with it. Verse 10, Then said the Lord, Thou hast pity on the gourd, for which thou hast not labored, neither madest it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not spend Nineveh, that great city, wherein more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right and their left hand, and also much cattle? So there are 120,000 people who didn't know right from wrong, who didn't know better, who didn't have God's revelation. Should God not show mercy to them? And he leaves it an open-ended question. (laughs) It's always intrigued me. I think God did that on purpose. I'm sure Jonah answered it some way in his own heart, in his life, but it's not written. Because the open-ended question makes us wonder why or what the answer is. And that makes us contemplate what we would do, or how we feel about God's mercy, His kindness, His justice, His goodness. We are happy to accept it, but are we happy to give it, and are we happy when it's received? And I think that is the important question, and that's why that question is left open-ended. I just want to say something on that spiritual pride um, that idea of I deserve mercy, I deserve grace, everything I have spiritually is because I'm actually quite a good person. That type of thinking destroys any root of Christ-likeness. So much so that he even despised when he saw Christ-likeness being enacted. Spiritual pride will kill <laughs> like that gourd. It will be killed. Now, as we went through these verses, I I mean, I learned so much going through the book of Jonah. It's definitely a lot more than a Sunday school lesson, Jonah. There's so many things we can apply to ourselves, but I want to draw one application from this, one specific application. I know there were many things, and God spoke to me as we were going through this, but there's something that I want to speak about, and that is God's will and your obedience to it. Now, there is a geographical, there is a ministerial, and there is a spiritual will of God. And we see all three of those in Jonah. Geographical, Jonah, go to Nineveh. I want you in Nineveh. Ministerial, Jonah, I want you to preach in Nineveh. And then spiritual, Jonah, I want you to enjoy the presence of God. I want you to enjoy seeing my character come out. 
geographical, ministerial, and spiritual. Jonah, go to Nineveh. So the question to us is, are you where God wants you to be, geographically? God wanted Jonah in Nineveh. God wants you in Posh, or not. So, have you asked the question? <laughs> I want you here, but does God want you here? Does God want you in Bible Baptist Church? Or does he want you to be ministering somewhere else? Have you asked God the question? I'm not saying he doesn't want you where you are now, but do you know that this is where God wants you to, do, to be? You know, in Acts chapter 8, we read the story of Philip. And God tells, or an angel comes to, to um, Philip and says, Arise and go to the south. Same thing, arise and go. Philip does, he arises, and he goes to the south. And there he meets the eunuch, the Ethiopian eunuch, and the Ethiopian eunuch gets saved and all of that. But the point is, God wanted Philip in the south, and then God used him there. The same with um, Paul. Many times in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 16, he wants to go to Macedonia, and God says, no, not there now. Last week, Romans chapter 1, I want to come to you guys to impart some spiritual blessing to you, if God wills. But God has kept me back from doing that up until now. There's a place where God wants you to be. Are you in his geographical will? Secondly, ministerial will. God, God told Jonah to arise and to preach. Arise and preach. So, not just does God want you to be in the right location, Nineveh or Parch, he wants you to fulfill a certain role in that location. Imagine if Jonah just went to Nineveh or Philip just went to the south, but they didn't speak. So here's Philip on his way. He's going to the south. He, south, he listened to God. He meets the eunuch and he doesn't say a word. Remember, he asked, do you understand what you're reading from the book of Isaiah? Imagine if he didn't even ask. He didn't care why God wanted him in that area. So it's not just where, but it's what you do where you are. So we spend years in Potchefstroom and in this church, but do we ever fulfill the reason God placed us here? It doesn't have to be something, what's the right word, grandiose. It doesn't have to be, but you're here for a reason. Why? Have you asked God? God says, arise and preach. Step up. God tells Jonah to arise. Maybe this is what God wants you to hear today. How much of your time, energy, devotion do you give to say, God, how do I be the Christian? How do I minister as a Christian to the people? Is God maybe telling you to arise this morning and do something for him? Don't keep yourself so busy that you are unavailable for God's ministerial will. Your spiritual tashish, wherever that may be. <laughs> Don't keep yourself so busy with things that you do not do what God wants you to do. And then lastly, the spiritual will. Enjoy the presence of the Lord. Do not flee from it. Jonah may have fulfilled the geographical and the ministerial will of God, even though it was somewhat reluctantly. But he was far from fulfilling God's spiritual will for him personally, what God wanted him personally to experience through this all. God wants us all to draw nigh to him and enjoy his presence. 
He wants us to find our life, our strength, our balance, our security, our everything in Him. And then from that, we minister in a certain thing and we minister in a certain place. The spiritual will of God is that foundation. I want to say it's like a pyramid. That's the foundation. If you turn that pyramid on its head and you say, no, geographical, ministerial, and then spiritual, you're unstable. That pyramid's going to fall over. You want God to be at the foundation. No other foundation can any man lay than that which is laid. It is Christ Jesus. So, if we run from it, we forsake these things, and we end up where Jonah was in chapter 4. Where Jonah just, where you end up saying, it doesn't make sense. God, I don't understand. How could you? If I were you, I would have handled this differently. I would have done it better. You're angry. You're displeased. Now, I'm sure none of us want to be there. So where do you start? You start by saying, God, I want to be in your will. And that starts by saying the basic, the base, the foundation is Jesus Christ. Are you saved? If you're saved, what are you building on that foundation? What are you doing? And then God will, if you're faithful in the small things, He will make you faithful. He will help you to be faithful in big things. He will help you in the next step. So we need to be faithful in those small things. Be close to the heart of God. So, when God calls, where do you go? Do you go run to Tarshish? Do you try and get on a ship? Or do you run to the prayer closet? When God calls, oh, I always watch series X on a Wednesday night. God, now is not a good time to call me. <laughs> Whatever the case is. Do you run to the TV? Do you run to your career as an excuse? I can't do this now because I've got too much work. Where do you run? Or do you run and say, I mean, imagine if God came to you and said, Jonah, arise and go to Nineveh and preach to them. And then Jonah said, and he draw nigh to God, and he fell on his knees and he said, God, what would you have me say? When do I go? And he drew nigh to that presence. But instead he said, I need to get away from this. This is uncomfortable. What if God asked me to do something? I was supposed to do this tonight. I'm supposed to see Tarshish. <laughs> so be aware of what you run to. Do you try to avoid the call of God to be near to him by busying yourself with a bunch of other things. So, geographical, ministerial, and spiritual. And I pray that you will seek God on either of those, all of those, starting, hopefully, the spiritual being right, and God will then lead you in the ministerial and then in your geographical. But don't, don't turn that thing upside down. It's an unstable situation. Let God lead you from the one to the next. Let's all close our eyes. Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for showing us so much from this book of Jonah, Lord. Um, I said in the beginning, <laughs> the book of Jonah is a lousy prophet. But Lord, I think, unfortunately, a lot of us find ourselves to be lousy Christians. Lord, I pray that you will please show Mercy, Lord, as you have already. And we thank you for your mercy, Lord. Lord, I pray for anyone here this morning who may not have the foundation of Christ. Jesus Christ, the one who, in which 
mercy is found, the one in whom grace is found, kindness, goodness, all these beautiful characteristics of you, Lord. Lord, I pray that you will meet with those people. And Lord, that you would save them and that that foundation can be laid. And Lord, that they can start this walk with you in your will. Lord, I pray for each of us, Lord, that are saved. Lord, help us to run to you when you call. Help us not to busy ourselves so much with our spiritual tashish that we are unavailable to be used by you where you want us to use us, where you want to use us in the way you want to use us. And Lord, that we may be close to your heart when you do so. That we may praise you, Lord, for your mercy. That we may praise you for your goodness and your kindness. And not say, not be, not be shocked, not be displeased, Lord. Lord, I pray that you please be with us. May this message ring true in our hearts in this week. Um, there's a lot of things in this. Um, Lord, and I think it applies to so many aspects of our lives, broader and also close to, to this church. And Lord, I pray that you will give everyone certainty of where you want them to be. Um, I pray and I believe for the most of us it will be here in Poch for now, Lord. And um, use us here, Lord. We don't want to just be, be here. But, Lord, we want to be used of you. And we thank you so much for this morning, Lord. Thank you for meeting with us. And please bless us as we go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.